The Holy Gospel for this fourth Sunday in Advent is found in the Gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter, beginning with the 39th verse. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me? The mother of my Lord comes to me. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, who has looked with favor on me, a lowly servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is the name of the Lord, whose mercy is for the God-fearing from generation to generation. The arm of the Lord is filled with strength, scattering the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped Israel, the Lord's servant, in remembrance of mercy, according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When my wife Linda and I were living in Cameroon, we enjoyed living next to neighbors who had been given the huge task of translating the Bible into their own local language. It was three men who had completed education and training that equipped them to do this task, but it was still a daily challenge that required great amounts of patience and persistence and humility. One day when we stopped in to visit them, they were working on the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, and they were stuck on an intimate conversation that Ruth was having with Naomi. It was especially difficult for them, they said, because they were three men trying to faithfully express in their own language the words that these women were sharing with each other. And they admitted that they weren't well equipped to do that because they knew it was different in their own culture when women speak to each other without men present. I have to admit that I feel some of that same inadequacy when I try to understand and express the heart of this gospel reading today, which involves a holy conversation between Mary and Elizabeth. And it isn't just their words, it's the whole identity of these women, the intimacy that they share as pregnant women who are sharing a lived experience and also their deepest emotions and passions with each other. I suppose that is why a male-dominated church has always had difficulty understanding and identifying with Mary as she appears throughout the gospel narrative. Over two centuries, layer upon layer of theology and piety and politics have been projected onto her. Countless 
assumptions and stereotypes have flourished, making it hard to see who Mary really is. And all of those assumptions and stereotypes have also made it hard to understand what it truly meant for Mary to be blessed. Most often, God's blessing of her has been associated with elevating Mary as a model of holy femininity, ever sinless, ever virgin, ever mother. But I think the best that we can do is come back to this text and listen to Elizabeth and let her be the one to define what that means. Blessed is she, Elizabeth says, because she believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God spoke to her. My limited ability to understand what Mary was experiencing as a woman, let alone as an unwed pregnant teenager in that culture, has diminished my appreciation, I'm sure, for her radical faith. But that changes whenever I let modern-day Elizabeths help me appreciate how courageous and tenacious Mary's faith and trust truly were. And whenever my eyes are opened wider to her fuller humanity, in those cases, I get a much more complex picture of Mary as a whole person that balances fear with courage, doubt with faith, and vulnerability with strength. In her reflections on this gospel story, Debbie Thomas writes, Tradition tells us that Mary is only 13 or 14 years old when the angel appears to her. In her cultural and religious context, her pregnancy, unlike Elizabeth's, is not a gift, it's a disaster. At best, it renders her the object of gossip, scorn, and ostracism in her village. At worst, it places her at risk of being stoned to death. I can imagine, she says, that Mary ran to Elizabeth to put both geographic and psychological distance between her vulnerable body and those stones. Moreover, Thomas says, their encounter sits right alongside their hardest questions. Will Joseph stick around? Will Zachariah speak again? Will Mary's parents disown her? Will the elderly Elizabeth live long enough to see her son reach adulthood? Will both women survive the dangers of childbirth? Will these mysterious babies, these babies of such odd and unfathomable promise, really and truly change the world? Or will they die trying and shatter their mother's hearts with their deaths? But then, in the real possibility of all of those outcomes, Mary breaks forth in song. And what she celebrates is not an easy answer or the prospect of a carefree life or the guarantee of prosperity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes Mary's song this way. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might, ever, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary, he says, whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, 
inexorable song, Bonhoeffer says, about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. Because Mary's song is so subversive in its cultural, socioeconomic, and political implications, it has actually been banned many times in modern history. When the British ruled India, for example, the Magnificat, Mary's song, was prohibited from being sung in churches. What Mary sings about, according to Judith Jones, is the God who saves not just souls, but embodied people. The God she celebrates is not content merely to point people toward heaven. God's redemptive work begins here on earth, she says. God fills the hungry not only with hope, but with food. Rather than being satisfied with comforting the lowly, Mary's God lifts them up, granting them dignity and honor, a seat at the table, a voice in the conversation. At the same time, Joan says, God shows strength by disrupting the world's power structures, dethroning rulers, and humbling the mighty. I agree with all who call Mary a true prophet. I may not be able to understand her well or identify with her in the way that others can, but I can join every person who gives thanks that she was blessed with an ability to describe the future by naming what God has already done to transform the present. Maybe that's what faith really is when all is said and done. Maybe it is the gift that opens our whole lives to God's redemptive work that is already in progress for us and for all creation. For Mary, that work in progress meant being seen and lifted up as a whole person with dignity and honor. It meant knowing deep down that God believed in her and that God was including her in a reordering of the world that could not be stopped by any human will or force. And then I think it also means trusting deep down that God's transformation of the world is happening and that it is good for every one of us. If we are proud or powerful or rich, it may be hard to trust that being humbled or cast down or emptied is actually something to include in a song of praise. But what if that truly is the salvation we need? What if that is God's way of bringing us too into wholeness? What if that's God's way of saving us from ourselves? I am praying for the trust and faith of Mary when it comes to my own way of living into that because there is a voice deep within me that says yes to every one of those questions. It says yes too to Mary's affirmation that God will be faithful to all of God's promises for every one of us in their translation into their local language of this gospel story about Mary and Elizabeth, I love the way our neighbors in Cameroon captured Elizabeth's celebration of Mary in verse 45. Instead of using the word for believe that is said in 
affirmations of faith like the Apostles' Creed in their language. They chose a word which literally means to receive. So roughly translated back into English, verse 45 says, Blessed is she who receives God's word. Very often, that same word in that language means also to welcome, which I like even better. Welcome, blessed is she who welcomes God's word. As we move now into the holy days of Christmas, may we not only welcome this radical truth about a God who is disrupting and dismantling the world for good, but also the mystery of a God who comes to meet us with a relentless and unshakable love. And may that be our greatest source of joy now and in all the days to come. Amen.